If you'll open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, we're going to start in chapter number one, and we'll read all the way through 31. See if y'all are paying attention. Proverbs chapter number one, we're going to be there, but we're going to be in a lot of other places too. I'll just be reading a lot of verses. Uh, So, as we look at this Christian life, you know, you get saved, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if we could all just go to heaven right at that moment, say, Lord, I accept you. I accept the forgiveness for sins, Lord, just take me now. But he leaves us here. He leaves us here as a witness and a testimony. He left somebody else here so they could be a witness and a testimony to you. So they could be the one to witness to you and tell you about Jesus Christ. And I'm glad. I'm glad that I get in. Brother Luther Spivey, he, uh, he preached those sermons and they were, they were basic sermons. But out of all the sermons I've heard over the years, Brother Luther Spivey's come back to me. One thing Brother Luther used to say, and, and just so you understand what kind of preacher I'm talking about, you could tell he was about finished when he'd sweat through the coat. I'm talking some preaching now. I'm talking if you sat on the front row, you might want a piece of plastic. Well, Brother Luther, he always used to say, I really get to go. I really get to go. But, uh, that doesn't happen, does it? We're still here. We got to live tomorrow. We got to live the next day. And we're still in this world. So as Christians, we, we walk in this world, but we get the dirt back on our feet. Amen. I know there's something to say. You get saved, you never sin again. Well, okay. But the Bible talks about the flesh and the spirit. These two lust against one another. They, they fight against each other so that you cannot do the things that you would. And Paul talks over in Romans chapter number seven. He talks about that battle that he's fighting. And as I understand, that's 27 years into his ministry. And he's talking about those things that I would do, I cannot do. I know I'm hitting some of the same topics here Sunday to Sunday, but this is where my mind is. He said, the things I would do, I cannot do. When I would do good, evil is with me. He gets all the way to the end. What does he say? He's frustrated. He, the, the whole fight goes on. You go back and forth, back and forth. He said, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he answers the question. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that with the mind, I myself serve the law. With, with the body, with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. With the mind, I serve the law of Christ. Our hearts and our minds are toward God, but we still sin. So Paul, when he talks about this life on earth, he talks about it as a race. Over in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, you don't have to go there. It says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And he's talking about obtaining a prize. So when we live in this life, we have something to strive for, and that's the rewards that God gives. Our soul is saved. Our soul is in God's hands. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And uh, 
But he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so then run that ye may obtain. And he compares it to a, a race at, you know, the Roman Colosseum or the Greek races, when they would have the races or the Olympics, you know. They, there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. The, the, the runners, you know, they, they had to be temperate in things. They had to put things aside in order to reach that goal, in order to be able to run, in order to be able to run faster. They had to put things aside. Paul talks about laying aside every sin and the weight which, every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, laying those things aside. So in the context of a race, and I, I've thought about this, and I, I got on a topic. I got to studying out a topic. And it's over here in Proverbs chapter number one. Take a look at it, and then we'll see how that fits in because these aren't necessarily tied together, but I'm giving a devotional message this morning that I'm going to kind of tie together for us. So verse number seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, there's a starting point for this race. There's a starting line, a place where you kick off. As Christians, the first place that you start is your faith in God. You understand me here? Over in Hebrews 11:6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That makes sense. That the first thing about pleasing God is you got to believe in God. That's the first thing. That's your faith. Your faith is founded on that. He says, for he that cometh to God must believe it that he is. And then the next part of that verse in Hebrews eleven six, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, all through the Bible, we see this phrase, the fear of God, the fear of God. And over the years, I've wanted to preach it. I thought, you know, I'd make a good sermon one day, but I'm not a topical preacher. That's not my first. I don't know if you call it a calling, but. I get a little untethered when I'm not in one passage. You understand what I'm saying? But when I started looking at the fear of the Lord, and I see, I see this passage, and then I just want to make a, a few points out of it. We have the starting line of our faith, and he says, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I think about that race, and I think about the first thing, you, you have faith. That gets you in the race. Amen. I'm going to make an illustration today, and I'm just going to slather it up there. When you believe God, you've entered the race. When you've trusted Christ, you've entered the race. When you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you said, you know, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I realize I've broken the law. We've been learning about that. Amen. I've broken the law. I've broken God's law. I'm condemned. I'm going to hell. Uh but when you accept that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your destination has changed. Now you're in the race. So you don't just stop there. You don't just stop at that day. And a lot of people do. A lot of Christians do. And it's like, why do they do that? Why, why does someone accept Christ? Why does someone face themselves in the mirror and see themselves as sinful in the eyes of God they get on their knees and they accept Christ and then they go out into the world. Well, we know about the flesh. We know the flesh takes over. But there's something else there. 
I, I think in the world today among Christians, you know, we see a lot of backsliding. We see a lot of liberalism. We see a lot of sliding away from God's word. We see a lot of people that have no fear of God. It said the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It's at the beginning. That's the starting line of our faith. I'm just going to make that proposition here. The further you get away from the fear of God, now some of you are getting nervous. You say, well, fear of God. So you're saying I got to be afraid of God all the time. You know, I got to be afraid. No. See, being afraid of somebody is, is being afraid of somebody that's abusive. A parent is abusive or or a husband is abusive, and come, come home, he lifts his hand to comb his hair, and you're afraid of him because you're afraid that hand's going to smack you. That kind of fear doesn't gender obedience, does it? It just, it just you might be slipping nails in dinner. I don't know. It, it genders rebellion. Uh, Brother Gary had a saying. I looked it up online. It took me all kinds of places, but... I still like the saying that Brother Gary had. I don't know where he got the quote. But he said, discipline without love breeds rebellion. And he said, love without discipline breeds contempt. I'll let y'all get a hold of that on your own time. But loving God because you fear him is just at some point going to make you rebellious. I'll give you a for instance. I was looking for an illustration this morning. It didn't seem to fit, but now it does. Years ago, homeschool movement, writing books about it. There was a young man. He said, he wrote a book. He said, I kissed dating goodbye. Well, during that time, they, they, there were churches, there were ministers that came up with requirements for young men that were going to date their women. You got to do A, B, and C before you're going to date my daughter, you know. And they, they had the law laid out. And the guy that was writing the article was writing it about the author of the book. The author of the book, number one, probably shouldn't have been up on a bestseller list at the age he was, which I think was about 18. The experience might have been a little limited. But the books that he wrote, now that he's a grown adult, he's disavowed those books. He's walked away from all of that. Not only that, he walked away from his faith in God. He left his wife. Now, it's always a blow when a big Christian author or some big preacher or something walks away from the faith. You get that, right? And the guy that wrote the article was making the point that with, with the legalism, you have rebellion. This goes back to my saying, discipline without love leads to rebellion. If all you see, as Brother Peacock says, if all you see is God standing there with a nail bat waiting to smack you on the head every time you mess up, then you're going to drift. You're going to rebel against that. It, and, and this young man, he said, I just don't believe in God. I don't believe. He, he get away from it. So fear of the Lord has got to be something a little bit different, right? The fear of the Lord, and let me give you a definition of that, because it's like, well, what does that mean? From the preacher's outline of study Bible, it says it is recognizing who God is and giving to him the respect, reverence, and authority he is due. 
It's like in the military, we render due respect, right? We render due respect no matter who's in the office of the president because we render respect to the office of the president. We render respect to God. The only thing is, we, should, we don't have to put aside our doubts about him because he's God. He's perfect. We just need to line ourselves up with him. A person who truly fears the Lord submits to him and obeys him. It is an attitude of submission and obedience to God. Anything less than obedience is not truly and genuinely the fear of God. So let me pull all this back around because, you know, normally I go down rabbit trails. This wasn't a rabbit trail. What makes people give up? I submit to you that in our modern churches and modern Christianity, out there in the world, wherever you look, wherever there's disobedience to God, there's a lack of fear of God. There's a lack of respect of God. There's a lack of reverence for God. You know, we look through the Bible, and any time that one of the saints comes in contact with the angels, or there, there's a fear. Zacharias, when he was when he was in the temple and he was given the offering and everything, and the angel of the Lord shows up, there's fear. The angel has to tell him, fear not. When you come in contact with a mirror, everything's looking all right. I told you a few weeks ago, Didi's got that full-length mirror. I covered it up with a blanket one day. I walked by there and thinking I'm a young man again, you know, because your mind runs a little different. I walked by that mirror, and then I see what y'all see. You know, I'm just, man. She took the blanket off. She said, that's the point of the mirror. <laughs> And it's the same with the Bible. When there's no fear of the Lord, people don't want to look in the Bible because it makes them afraid. It's like a mirror you hold up to yourself and it makes you afraid of what you really are. It shows you who you really are. James talks about that mirror that people see themselves in the mirror and they go away forgetting what manner of man he is. So... All of that to get to this, when there is no fear of God, there's disobedience to God. When there's a lack of reverence, when there's a lack of, of honoring God, when, there, when you've got God in the position of, he's your drinking buddy. Well, I mean, let's just put it down into the salt and pepper, right? You got God down to, he, he's just my buddy. He's my co-pilot. He, God's with me. We're hanging together. When, when it's like that, you don't have any fear of God. I'm going to do what I want to do. But when you understand God, the Lord, the Savior of the universe, the creator of the universe, the one who has a plan for each and every person in this world, the one who no one could approach until he sent his son down on this earth to live among men and then die on the cross at the hands of his creation, sacrificed and shed his blood. No man's blood can pay the penalty that Jesus Christ paid Jesus died on the cross for our sins and gave us a way to be in heaven. When you understand the God of heaven, his wrath, when you understand what he can do, when you understand that he's righteous and that his judgments are true, you have a fear of the Lord and you cling to that cross. Amen. But when you don't have a fear of God, you can do what you want. 
Well, we'll do this. God will be happy. I'll present this to God. He'll be happy. But when you begin reading God's word and you got to fear the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what do you want? We might get through this. In Genesis 20, 11, just throwing some verses out here. Abraham is talking to the king and the king's like, well, why, why didn't you tell me this was your wife, Sarah? I wouldn't have taken her. Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. No fear of God. In Romans 3, 10 through 18, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. And with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. You see the picture here? This is somebody that's godless. You may as well be watching a Mad Max movie. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace, they have not known. How many people want peace? There is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God. But where there is fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When you see God for who he is and you begin to look at God's word, then he begins to open it up. When you revere God and you can be like Job, he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look upon a maid. You begin to, shall I say, regulate yourself. That fine line between legalism and obedience You understand what I'm saying? Do y'all know what legalism is? I see some confusion. I see some confusion. I see some sideways looks. (laughs) Legalism. Y'all don't need to drink. Y'all don't need to chew. Y'all don't need to hang out with those that do. You need to be in church every Sunday. When those doors are open, you need to be in there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening. You need to have your hair up high, your skirt down low. And, and I'll tell you what, let's decide whether you need to wear hose or whether you need to be wearing flat shoes or not high heels in my church. You understand what I'm saying? You start coming up with rules that will draw you closer to God. You start coming up with things and you say, this is going to draw me closer to God. and I'm going to keep this and I'm going to do this. And when I'm doing this, I know I'm in God's will. You got the other side of the coin because I don't want to let anybody off the hook on the other side of the coin. And they call it antinomianism, whatever. But on the other side of the coin, you got people that just, hey, God loves me for who I am. Yeah, we'll go drinking after the funeral. God doesn't care. You know, I don't know. I don't know how to hit on that head too hard. I just... I just know I've been around it to where you just do whatever you want and God's going to approve of it. So you got legalism on this side and on this side, you got the lawlessness. Somewhere in the middle, there's the fear of God. When you reach that point, then God begins to show you things. 
you begin to open up God's word and you begin saying, well, I, you go from, you know, God, I know you're going to approve of this. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And you go from, well, I've kept myself right before you, Lord. I've stayed out of those places. I walk by Victoria's Secret. I look the other way. I go down to Galveston. I stay two miles from the beach because I don't want to see anything. That's fine if God's convicted you. But when you reverence God, you don't even have to think about that stuff. When you have a fear of God, Lord, I just want to know what you got for me. Lord, I'm going to stay over here because I know that'll get me in trouble. I want to be in your will, Lord. You see that fine line? I'm trying to make it clear. To the fear... To fear the Lord is to be open to knowledge. If you want to know more about God, if you have an appetite, then you're open to learn what God has for you. The second part of the verse says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Over in Psalm 14:1, it says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Over in Romans chapter 1, we're talking about foolishness. Over in Romans chapter 1, starting at verse number 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. Well, what about, what about this? What about that? What about the tribe over, God has shown it to them. Why do you think they set up an altar? God has shown them something. They looked at nature. They said, there's a creator. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And then verse 22, I can't tell you how many pointy-headed people I think of. Brother Grady, well, bless your pointy little head. (laughs) Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now, think about that path. We're going to deny the God that we can't see has created a lot of these things that we can't see. We're going to deny him and we're going to build, and I think it's Jeremiah that talks about that, going out and getting the wood, carving it, putting the metal around it and creating an idol and worshiping it. And we're going to worship that instead. And he laughed and he said, well, yeah, that's funny. Well, they did it over in Exodus. Oh, Aaron, you know, we threw the gold in the fire and out jumped this calf. and We worshiped it. Behold, Israel, here are the gods that delivered you out of Egypt. 
Romans 128, a little further down. Because the other part is just not a part of this sermon today. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So the beginning of knowledge starts with the fear of God. The opposite direction is denying God, getting denied the knowledge. Turn it over to a reprobate mind. All right, you don't want to know about me? You won't. The example in the New Testament, when Jesus gave the parables, he spoke in, when he spoke in parables, when he could have just said something in plain English, right? He said over in Luke 8.10, he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. He was talking to the disciples. So the closer you draw to God, the more that he reveals to you. It doesn't make you super spiritual. It doesn't make you know more than other people. It makes you understand your Lord more. It makes you understand his will instead of just making it up along the way. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, you can go there with me if you want. I've gone here a couple times. I feel like I just keep going back here. Maybe I do. That's good. You wouldn't have got it the first time. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. I'll give the context again. Paul's talking to the Corinthians. They've lined up. I know I've said this a hundred times. That's okay. It still applies. They've lined up behind the different preachers. They've lined up behind Paul. They've lined up behind Apollos and all this. And Paul is setting them straight. He said, you're trying to, now I'm summarizing. He said, you're trying to follow a man, but I'm trying to tell you, you need to follow God. That's really the summary of these first three chapters. You're trying to follow man. You need to follow God. So you have man's wisdom and you have God's wisdom. And then uh, uh, chapter number two. Oh, yeah, I'm trying not to go too far. But yeah, verse number four, he's telling him about his preaching. He says, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then... He said, verse number six, how be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. So not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. He said, among them that are perfect, those that are saved, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. He said, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse number nine, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. He's talking about those treasures that are in the Bible, in his word. You know, somebody will get up and they'll say, I hath not seen nor ear heard the thing, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So you love him enough, you're going to get a Cadillac. (laughs) 
You love him enough, you're going to get that house. You love him enough, you give enough, and show him your love by giving this ministry money. I know this can be cut out and used against me, so I'm interrupting it. It hadn't even entered into your heart what you'll get. But in this context, it's man's wisdom, God's wisdom. When you love the Lord, and when you fear God, he begins to open up his word to you and begins to show you things in it. It may not be deep things. You know, you may not stand toe-to-toe to some theologian. You may not stand toe-to-toe. That's not the point. The point is for you to draw close to the Lord. He may just show you something to help you understand. This happened to me. I struggled. But Lord, I see it's in your plan. And I accept it. Just opening your eyes enough to see that. You know how many people can't get past that? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did you do this to me, Lord? Why did you make this happen? Why did you? Why, 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 why? But when you love God and you fear God, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Do I sound like I'm on track here? Man's wisdom, God's wisdom. Just go a little further. Verse number 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit teacheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. See, that's how we know it's in the context of the things that God has to reveal to you. It's not in the context of your best life now or doing things like that. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. If I went on, we'd have to unpack that and we'd get off the the sermon. So we're going to back off of that. And now I look at Proverbs chapter number 9. So Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom... And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. His commandments lead to holiness. That's why God gave us the law, to show us the way of holiness. Ryrie says in his commentary, Wisdom is not acquired, and I like the way this was put. Wisdom is not acquired by a mechanical formula, but through a right relationship with God. That's why legalism doesn't work. Legalism is the mechanical formula. Over here, it's just a lack of any formula. Over here is a formula. I got a formula that's going to make me right with God. It's a right relationship with God, and it's fearing God that puts you in that right relationship. Uh, Proverbs 15.33 just a few more chapters over (laughs) 
Bible says the fear of the Lord is instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. In the first part, when we look at instruction of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. There is a genuine fear of suffering the wrath of God. It's not a constant fear that God's got a baseball bat that he's going to smack you with every time you get out of line. You left 50 cents off your tithe. Flat tire. You, you spent $100 over here. Refrigerator gone. It's not like that. It can be. If you, let me get my caveat in there. There have been times held back the tithe and things don't go too well. Been other times, I don't know if we got it. Let's just tithe it. God take care of it. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, we're going to put this other money. I'm not saying that happens every time. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you. I'm just saying that when you're right, we've got God takes care of you. And that, that gets us back to the other sermon about the widow with the, with the oil. She poured it, and the cruise never failed. Or uh, uh, the widow and Elijah, they always had enough for the next meal. God never filled that thing up. It just, they had enough for the next meal, for the next meal. For that. God took care of them. So when you get to the end, and uh, another example, if you want to look up, uh, I think it's Robert Mueller, or, or uh, George Mueller of Bristol, who ran orphanages. And he, he gave his testimony on paper, wrote books, and described from his journal the times relying on God. I'll give you one story. Um, sitting, sitting there with the orphans, they didn't have milk. Said, well, let's pray. You know, I asked God to provide. And then the, the, the milk cart outside, guy comes in. He said, look, cart's broke. I'm not going to be able to deliver this. It's just going to go bad. Can I just give it here? And then they had milk. And he said, well, that doesn't happen. Well, there's the story of Dee Dee and Caleb sitting there when I was when I wasn't uh, producing much income at all, they're sitting there, and Caleb said, I want a snack. And she said, well, we, you know, we don't have any. Let's pray. You think I'm pulling your leg here. And I thought Dee was pulling mine. But they sat there on the floor, and they prayed. And, you know, Caleb, little, little Caleb, not the big Caleb, but uh, prayed and asked God. And, oh, uh, Brother, Brother Minnick showed up at the door, knocked on the door, and a nephew of his had a Debbie cake truck. <laughs> he dropped off some day-old Debbie cake snacks for him. He said, what you want? You're not going to know if you had no fear of God. I'm just telling you. In Exodus 20, 20, Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you. And that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. Fear of God and what he can do, keep you from sinning. It's just plain and simple. You know, I said God's not waiting there with a ball bat, and he's not. But a, a healthy fear of God, a healthy understanding of God's justice, understanding how much he hates sin is enough to keep you from it. 
from the preacher's outline of the study Bible. Humility. And this is switching over to the humility. The second part of the verse there, it says, and before honor is humility. You know humility, right? Well, I'm right with God. Bless God. I don't even know why you're in the church. The building's going to fall down. You show up. I'm here every day. I'm here every week. I'm picking on somebody, and they know it. I'm here every week, but you're not here. I saw you out there on Friday night. What are you even doing here? You know, not talking about his own problems. Humility does not always come voluntarily. Did you get that? Humility does not always come voluntarily. Sometimes God has to bring us to a place of meekness before him. If we are truly wise, we accept and appreciate the trials that God gives to our lives. That's a tough one to say, isn't it? If we are wise, we truly, if we are truly wise, we accept and appreciate the trials that God brings to our lives. In the flesh, this makes no sense. But the wise know that God in his sovereignty has allowed the affliction for our own good. He allowed these things to teach us. How many of you, I mean, at the age we've got in here, how many of you can look back and remember times that God showed you something and humbled you a little bit? It says, in fact, we can have perfect confidence that God will take all the circumstances and work them out for good, Romans 8, 28. Still, our sin nature does not easily let go of its grip on us. There's submission that we learn. Knowing this, at times, it's only through the refining fires of trials that complete submission to God is achieved. Decontamination. The flames of affliction serve to decontaminate us, to remove the dross, the impurities in our lives. We obviously don't enjoy or welcome suffering. But the Bible tells us to. James, over in chapter number 1, verse 2 through 5, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, if you want there. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any, now listen to this part. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. They give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. See how that tied in there? Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. You can tie that back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Jesus said over in Matthew 10, 28, not to fear him who could kill the body, but fear him who's able to kill the soul and condemn it to hell. Now the words you've been waiting for. In conclusion, 
Y'all were wondering if we were going to get there, huh? Having there, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It all kind of ties together. The fear of the Lord, reverence for him, and submission to him is discipline in and of itself. It teaches people wisdom. And when people humble themselves before the Lord, changes take place in their lives. The wisdom they display in their daily lives, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, stirs others to honor them. And that was at the last part of the verse where it talked about honor. 1533, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Let me just give you a little illustration. Remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he saw them all going for the chief seats and all that, or the chief rooms. He said, when you're bidden to come to a dinner, sit down at the lower place so that he can lift you up. Humility before honor. Amen. The Lord will honor both them, will honor them both in this life and when they stand before him in the judgment. So I have a question for you this morning. Number one, what will your status be at the judgment? You stand before God on the day of judgment, will you be guilty or innocent, breaking his law? Have you accepted Jesus Christ's payment for your sin? Are you trying to work your own way up to heaven? Are you trying to say, I can get better, I can get better, I can get better, and then I'll come to you, Lord? That's not the way it works. God makes you better. And in your own life, Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're in that race and you start to get off path, I submit to you today, there may be a lack of fear of God in your life. You'll stand.